BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. The Supreme Court says that the Trump administration can continue its ban on transgender Americans in the military. Thank you, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, thank you, Donald Trump. Shows how we miss Anthony Kennedy on key votes like this. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we go. It's a Wednesday. We're in the middle of the week already, January 23rd. So good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to have you on board as we uh, kick off here the next two hours to uh, take a look at all the big stories of the day. Just twist them inside out, take a look at them from every angle, give you our take, and hear what you have to say about all the news of the day as we join you online, join you on the radio, join you on television, coast to coast on, again, another busy news day. The Supreme Court making a lot of news yesterday on several fronts on transgender policy, on DACA, on guns, uh, and on a couple of other issues. Uh, The shutdown rolls into day 33, but Congress is back, and there will be a vote on Thursday on two competing measures, the president's BS plan and the Democratic response, which is to open the government, fund those agencies that have nothing to do with border security, like reopen them, period, and uh, put a 30-day extension on the Department of Homeland Security so they can continue negotiations on border security. Both of those measures will probably fail, and federal employees will lose their second paycheck of the year starting this Friday. So get ready. Lots to talk about, lots you want to comment on, and we want to hear from you at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Every now and then, Bill, I get a story that I know is perfect for you at Full Every Court now and Press. Then. Oh, really? All right. Yeah, well, flights at Newark Liberty International oh, Airport were yeah. temporarily stopped yesterday after two pilots reported mm-hmm. seeing 
drones in the area. In fact, one of them came very, very close. Here is the pilot talking to the air traffic controllers. We missed the drone by about 30 feet off our right wing, about uh, a couple of seconds before you spoke to it. Barely missing a drone by 30 feet there above Newark Airport. Uh The drone was reported at about 3,500 feet above the airport, which is pretty high for a drone. This was yesterday afternoon. They halted flights temporarily while they figured out what the hell was going on. After the two pilots reported (laughs) it, they did not see any more drone sightings, meaning it went somewhere else or came back to to Earth or whatever. Uh, But it was enough to shut down air traffic. Anybody who flies a drone around an airport is a terrorist. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, a terrorist. (laughs) Think about It's hard to believe that a little drone like that could bring down a plane. But if it hit the right place... What if it went sucked into the engine? Well, but, you know I mean, what I mean? You know, there, yeah, it I mean, is. it could be. I mean, it we've is. seen. You think we just passed the anniversary of uh, Sully, the miracle yes. on the Hudson, yeah. and yeah. that was caused by a bird. A bird. So there are drones that are out birds, there maybe. that yeah. are as big as some of these. Absolutely. Birds. So yeah, it's absolutely a uh, a safety problem. If you have a drone, for crying out loud, don't fly it near an airport. Just just don't do it. It's a terrible idea. Uh, you need a little caffeine kick. You're sitting at your desk. You don't want to go out and go get coffee. Well, Starbucks is expanding their delivery service. They have been testing this out in certain areas where you or- you go on the app, you order a cup of coffee, they'll bring it to you. They are expanding it, and they say they want to offer it at nearly one-fourth of their coffee shops, which is a lot of coffee shops. It expanded this week to San Francisco, and later this week it will expand to New York, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, and, of course, right here in Washington, How much D.C. does that cost? I, they, they, so they, they don't actually uh, – it, it varies, but it's $2.50 for a delivery fee, and then you pay for the coffee as well. And how hot is it when you get it? Probably not hot enough. Yeah, no, right? This is the Bill Press Show. We are entering day 33 of the Trump shutdown, and Trump is doing nothing about it. Congress, back in town today, say, well, we'll have a vote. We'll have a vote on two competing proposals. One nonsense proposal, one that makes a lot of sense proposal. Neither one of them is going to pass. Shutdown will go into uh, week number five next week. You watch. Hello, everybody. Yeah, you expect to get anything done in Washington? <laughs> starting out on a high note, huh? <laughs> yeah, starting out on a high note. Yeah, just put lower your expectations. Nothing's going to get done. As long as Donald Trump is throwing the snit fit in the White House, of course, unless he gets everything he wants. This is the old Trump negotiating tactic. He has used it before over and over again. This is what he does. I, I'm going to do this or else, Right. He was going to, uh, I want my tariffs or else I'm going to pull out of NATO. Uh, I want Mexico to do this or else I'm going to junk NAFTA. Uh, On and on. And now he's done it with the entire country. I want my wall or else I'm going to shut down the government. He has shut down the government unless we give the big baby what he wants. He says he'll continue to shut down the government. He does not want the government to reopen. He wants his wall. 
What do you say? Hello, everybody. On this Wednesday, January 23rd, welcome to the program. It is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, from our standstill do-nothing nation's capital, just down the street from the standstill do-nothing uh, United States Congress. Uh, You're so negative today. I know. Come on. I'm just <laughs> tired of this mess. It's, it is, it's bad. It is bad. It, that the fact that this country, the greatest country on earth, oh, really? We can't even open the doors and turn on the lights now for 33 days. That we expect, we really expect our great federal employees to come to work every day for nothing, to put in 50-hour weeks for nothing, and we would treat them as traitors or disloyal if they didn't show up for work? I mean, this is insane. They're, we are asking, taking advantage of these people, asking too much of these people, and treating them like dirt. It, it, it's so interesting because when we when we first started this shutdown, I think there was sort of a sense that, okay, we've been through this a couple of times. Yeah, it be like the others. This yeah, is not going to be that bad. It'll be up, quick, right? yeah, and right. we'll find a solution. Somebody will cave. And... It's just not that. It is not that. And there really is no end in sight. No, no. I mean, we're no closer today than we were 33 days ago. And as was pointed and, out today, Peter Baker makes a great point in the New York Times. So for, for all practical purposes, Donald Trump has shut down the White House, too. They're doing nothing yeah. down there but, like, nothing, nothing, nothing on his schedule. Maybe one lunch, like yesterday, all the only thing on the schedule lunch with Mike Pence. Great. Getting a lot of work done. Yeah, right. Uh the that was Tuesday. Monday he went to the MLK monument with Mike Pence Surprise. for two minutes. Yeah. yeah. That was all he did on Monday. <laughs> so and today, the same thing. He's got a meeting this afternoon with people to talk about border security. So he's not it's all wall all the time, doing nothing except tweeting and making phone calls uh, about the wall and i mean this this is it he is just obsessed on this and as several people pointed out it's like um if they let him get away with this he's going to do this for every damn thing he wants yeah and that's not the way it works I pointed out before ronald reagan wanted a balanced budget amendment he sent it up to congress congress voted on it they voted it down ronald reagan did not shut down the government Barack Obama wanted climate change legislation. He sent it up to Congress. They voted it down. He did not throw a snit fit and shut down the government. George W. Bush wanted comprehensive immigration reform. Sent it up to Congress. They voted it down. His own party in charge at the time voted it down. Okay. You, you know, you move on, right? No, not Donald Trump. Shut down the government. Uh, and it's getting so bad that even yesterday, so we've heard from the TSA people who have one of the toughest jobs. I mean, imagine dealing with people like me and others at the airports every day. A lot of people who just are impatient, that's me, uh, or don't like the whole fuss or uh, have never flown before and, or and can't way, get it straight and, and have stuff in their pockets when they're told nine times, take everything uh, out of your pocket. And by the way, it's worse and, now than ever because there are not enough people to to, to help staff. And right. The, the right. lines are longer. Yeah. The confusion is greater. So TSA actually put out a plea yesterday for more people. They, they wanted to borrow some people from other agencies if they can to fill up their ranks because 
up to 10% of them have called in sick because they need the money. They got to go out and get a job somewhere. Maybe they're Uber driving or something. And now, so we've heard from TSA, uh, and they're shorthanded. We've heard from the National uh, Transportation Highway Safety Board that they can't investigate any accidents. The FDA, they're not sending food inspectors out. Get this, now the FBI has spoken out. Um, you and I probably didn't know the FBI have a union. Agents have a union. Um, his name is Tom O'Connor. He's the head of the FBI Agents Union, who's, who says, again, so these they're considered, they're not furloughed. They're considered essential. So they've got to come in and work. And what are they going to do to make up for it? FBI agents should not have to go work at a store stocking shelves because they can't feed their families on their government job. They're still working 50-plus hours a, a, day, a week. So when are they going to find time to go get that second job? Exactly. Great question. The FBI, the Secret Service, the Coast Guard. I mean, these are the people among the people. I mentioned Forest Service, National Park Service, food inspector. You get it. These are important jobs. These people are not on the jobs. You know, we, on we, the job. we, we do stories all the time about how how tenuous things can be in this right. country when it comes to people living paycheck to paycheck or yeah. how little they have in savings uh, and, and, and all of that. And so even if you did have savings, right, that will only last you so long when you're getting no paycheck. Right. And you know what Donald Trump's response is? Again, they're all Democrats. So who right. Cares? Right. He said that. They're, yeah. They're all Democrats. So he cares. Who gives a flying you know what? He doesn't. Uh, so, uh, Peter, to your point, uh, some of the, what some of the uh, agencies are telling people is, well, you know, um, here are some ideas for getting by, right? You can use your credit card. Uh, you could get a bank loan. Uh, you could get a second job. Uh, you could, you know, dog walk or child sit or Uber drive. Um, you can go to the food banks. You know, there are food banks around and, and uh, not just Jose Andres here in Washington giving away free meals, but some churches and all. You've seen a lot of churches have put up food banks for federal employees in their communities around the country. Uh, or you could just, um, you know, lean on your family and friends for money. I mean, those are options that are, first of all, people should not have to go there if they got a real job. And there are options that are not available to everybody either. How many people have a rainy day fund just set aside for when I'm expected to go to work and not get paid for it? For right. a month at a time. A month. How can you plan now for a, that? Now a month at a time, right? How can you plan for that? You can't. You can't right. plan for that. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's like I, I've seen there are people like a, a, a friend of uh, my family, uh, her birthday uh, was earlier this week, and she said instead of gifts – there's a fund where you could donate to help furloughed workers. Uh, some former guests on the show, Nevin uh, and Al, uh, who run a food incubator, they started a new project called Pay It Furloughed, where you can mm. contribute money to this fund where they will then buy uh, beer for the furloughed workers. Because, you know, damn it, it's tough out there. You yeah, need a beer, right. but you don't have any money. There are all these different things that are popping up to help the furloughed workers, and the, the government is not helping them at all. No. Not at all. At 
all. And so Congress comes back yesterday, and uh, so what do they do? Well, Mitch McConnell has finally decided to get in the action, not sit on the sidelines anymore. And so he's scheduled to vote on Thursday for the Trump plan, uh, which was announced Saturday from the White House, which is, again, a non-starter because uh, he says, you give me everything on the wall, permanent wall, and I'll give you a little three-year extension on the DREAMers program. Mitch McConnell announcing the vote. The president's made a comprehensive and bipartisan offer that would accomplish everything Democrats have said needs to be accomplished right now, immediately. It's a strong proposal. It's the only thing on the table. And later this week, we'll vote on it. Well, actually, it's not the only thing on the table. Mitch McConnell knows that. He's he's become as big a liar as Donald Trump. It's not a bipartisan proposal either. Not one Democrat has supported it so far. Not one in the House or the Senate. Not one. Uh, And it's not the only thing on the table. Uh, The House of Representatives has passed at least six bills to reopen the government. They're on the table. They're they've through the House. They're on the Senate. There's a table right there alongside of the of the, uh, of the president's chair in uh, in in, uh, in the Senate, where there's a stack of bills from the House waiting, waiting, to be called up for discussion, for debate, for a vote. Mitch McConnell knows that. And in fact, yesterday, after this uh, little bite we just heard, he did agree that there will be competing votes on Thursday. There'll be two votes on Thursday, one for the for the president's plan and one for the democratic plan both of them require 60 votes neither of them will get 60 votes this is all just a big charade uh so um unless the senate mitch mcconnell is willing to go back to remember we've talked about it so many times late in december unanimously under mitch mcconnell unanimously the senate did pass the democratic bill because the house then picked it up Passed the same bill, sent it back to the Senate. The very same bill. That's the bill that could get 60 votes. It uh, provides all kinds of money for for our border security. It reopens the government. No money for the wall. Uh, as uh, Chuck Schumer said yesterday, the dealing with Donald Trump is so he 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 breaks down DACA, which was working right. He ends the temporary protected status program, which was working. And now he says, okay, you give me my wall and I'll give you these broken goods back or stolen goods, as Chuck Schumer says. When the president says, I'll give you DACA and TPS partially, even though he created the problem on his own in exchange for the wall, it's like bargaining for stolen goods. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a mafia tactic. It is a mafia tactic. But it's, again, a classic Donald Trump tactic, right? I'll destroy these programs. Okay, now, I'll give them back partially if you give me everything I want for my wall. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a classic mafia tactic. that you knock over a, uh, a delivery truck, you steal all the goods off of them, and then you right. go back to the dealer and say, hey, I'll sell these back to you for mm-hmm. mm, 100% markup. Yeah, right. Absolutely, just exactly. And as Nancy Pelosi points out, if you let Trump get away with this on, on this on the wall, right? Every time he wants something, he'll just play the same trick over and over and over again. Republicans are too dumb to realize this. Cannot have the president every time he has an objection to say, I'll shut down government until you come to my way of thinking. 
understand that is part of the point of this. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the White House keeps blaming, although Donald Trump, remember, said, it's my shutdown. I'll be proud of it. I'm not going to blame the Democrats. No. <laughs> They're blaming the, he blames the Democrats. Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday blaming the Democrats. Everybody, everybody at the White House blaming the Democrats. Leave it to Shep Smith on Fox News to cut through this and say, B.S. For fact's sake, the president shut down the government. He told the Democrats in the Oval Office that he would carry the mantle for it, that he would be proud to do it, and that he wouldn't blame the Democrats for it. There you go. We remember that. Yeah, it's good to be reminded of that. We know whose shutdown it is. It is the Trump shutdown. We're going to talk more shutdown with... uh, a very impacted a group of people. Sarah Nelson is the head of the Flight Attendants uh, International President of the Flight Attendants Union. She'll be joining us uh, just about 10 minutes from now and talk about uh, the impact on the airlines, particularly on uh, not just flight attendants and pilots, but of course the TSA and the uh, air traffic air traffic controllers. Meanwhile, there was a lot of other news on a lot of d- different fronts yesterday. Um, the Supreme Court very, very busy. The Supreme Court, um, we we see in one, they punted on some cases and they acted on 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 other cases. Uh, in one case, the for transgender Americans, remember, uh, despite o- over the objections of the generals in the Pentagon, uh, Donald Trump by Twitter announced that the Trump administration and he ordered the Pentagon to do this was going to ban. Um, transgender Americans from serving in the military. Uh, that has been modified somewhat so those who are already in the military can continue to serve. No new uh, recruits will be accepted in the military under the Trump policies. Uh, they were on hold because uh, the case is making its way up through the courts, but the Supreme Court yesterday, by a 5-4 to four vote, said that the Trump administration can revive, uh, can uh, enforce its ban on transgender Americans in the military. And, of course, this is the first real case where we've seen the difference between an Anthony Kennedy, who, uh, as a swing vote, was very supportive of LGBTQ issues, uh, and the difference between him, his being there and Brett Kavanaugh, who was, of course, one of the five who voted against it. So uh, the Trump ban on, according to the Supreme Court yesterday, on transgender Americans is now in force and in play. Um, some that could back come back to the court after it waves its, weaves its way through the lower courts, but that's a pretty good sign of what the court will do uh, if it comes back. It looks like the permanent ban, in, in effect, on transgender Americans in the military. The, the Supreme Court also said, however, on DACA, um, that's winding its way through the courts now. It's it's still in place, not for any new recruits, but for existing dreamers. They are protected under DACA while the lower courts uh, decide on it. Um, and the uh, Trump administration had asked the Supreme Court yesterday uh, to leapfrog over the lower courts and just give and make a final decision on DACA, thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, the court said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to let uh, the appell- appeals courts um, hear, those, hear those cases and decide. But the Supreme Court did say we're going to take one important co- case on guns. The first gun safety issue in 10 years will be taken up later this year by the Supreme Court. 
This is a very interesting one about New York City. New York City has some pretty tough uh, laws for uh, handguns, and you are allowed to take to take you have allowed to own a handgun if you have a permit and everything in New York. Uh, but if you go to a shooting range, you're allowed to take it out and carry it to a shooting range in New York City. By the way, in the five boroughs of New York, there are seven shooting ranges. God, come on. Seven. In, in, in New York. I don't know how many in Manhattan or Queens or Brooklyn where they are, but in the five boroughs, seven shooting ranges. So in New York, you're allowed to take it, your gun. It has to be, unlo- it has to be locked and unloaded but you're allowed to take it to a shooting range. You're not allowed to take it outside the city to a shooting range or to your, let's say, your second home in uh, upstate New York or in Connecticut or whatever. So people have sued saying, I want to be able to take my handgun to my country home. I want to be able to take it to a shooting range in New Jersey. And uh, that's against the law right now. That is the case that the Supreme Court has decided to take. Why? Why? I mean, what's, why is that? Guns are such a disease, man. It's such a disease. And it's, uh, people with diseased brains that just love I mean, their guns so much. Any restrictions at all, right, they oppose. And I mean, this, to me, this is sort of a common sense Sure, thing. this makes sense. How many people does this impact? So some nutcase, right, I don't know, living on the Upper East Side wants to be able to yeah, take his gun to Weehawken, New Jersey, so he can go to a shooting range over there when there are seven available inside the city limits. And and the Supreme Court is going to pick up that case. Again, totally is, normal country. This is the John Roberts Supreme Court. This is the Donald Trump Supreme Court with Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh on it. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Meanwhile, a Supreme Court related, Mitch McConnell said something interesting yesterday in an interview with the New York Times. I'm sorry, with, I believe this was with the New York. He gave two interviews, one with the New Yorker magazine and one with the New York Times. I think it was, no, Rudy Giuliani was the New Yorker. I apologize. Yes, Mitch McConnell with the New York Times, in which he said that holding up a vote on Merrick Garland, not, not just not allowing a vote, not allowing a hearing, but also telling Republicans not to even meet with a guy Mr. McConnell said, it is the most consequential thing I have done as oh, Senate leader, God. as the United States Senate. That makes me want to vomit. And you know what? It is. Yeah, he's right. It is the most consequential, meaning it's had the most con- serious consequences. And he's proud of it, and he brags about it, and he got away with it. Dem- th- that that should absolutely be a lesson for Democrats, anybody that wants to be in any kind of power in the Democratic Party. He's proud of it. Yeah. He's proud of it. And Democrats have to remember that uh, at one time uh, they agreed that they would get rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court judges. Uh, I had a chance uh, to interview the great Nina Totenberg at the Hill Center here in, in Washington last night. Uh, and Nina said that if the filibuster had still been in place, if they still needed 60 votes, uh, Neil Gorsuch, neither Neil Gorsuch nor Brett Kavanaugh would have been confirmed. And they were, able, they were confirmed because Democrats lowered the threshold for Supreme Court justice of 60 down to 50. So uh, you reap what you sow. And in that case, that was a huge, huge, 
huge mistake. Um, interesting yesterday, um, we know about the uh, Trump lies. You know, you realize how many there are, right? Well, the Washington Post kicked off the year by uh, adding up the last two years, and they put out the numbers yesterday. And over the last two years, by the Washington Post fact-checker, Glenn Kessler. I'm bracing myself. All right, uh, Donald Trump has told 8,158 <laughs> false or misleading claims. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. 8,158. Now, wait a minute. That's two years, okay. Over 6,000 of them were in the second year. So it got... manifestly worse in the second year because he realized he could get away with it. The first year he was sort of testing the water, right? Then he realized, eh, he won't be held responsible for anything. He can say anything he wants, nothing's going to happen. So, I just did the math on that really quickly, by the way. Oh, that yeah, is, I got it. Oh, you got you have it. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was going to say it. that's roughly 10 lies per day. Yeah, actually. Okay, right. In the first year, it was... 5.9 a day. Yikes. You're right, but breaking it down by year. But yeah, year by year. In the first year, it was 5.9 a day. In the second year, uh, 16 and a half. <laughs> God. <laughs> 16.5 a day. Oh, man. <laughs> year three? Oh, yeah. Katie, bar the door. Sky's the limit. I know, yeah. I uh, mean, he, uh, at this pace, you know, he's going to be at, what, 32? Isn't that amazing? Lies a Isn't day. that amazing? Yikes! Eight thousand one hundred and fifty-eight lives a day. Uh, what? What a terrible be. job to have to have to count the lies that Donald Trump tells. Mm, man, I tell you, one uh, other that would uh, drive so, me to drink. So while we're talking about numbers, I saw this yesterday too, and I thought you might appreciate this. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, so Survey Monkey, <laughs> they do these funny little sur- surveys or polls. Uh, and they asked Democrats, so who do you like? Who, who do you really like that's out there on the political scene today, right? Not surprising. 70% Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Freshman, 29 years old. She's been in Congress for a month, right? 70% approval rating. By the way, Nancy Pelosi, 75%. Oh, nice. Yeah. But it's been around forever. Yeah. You know. Talk a- about two contrasts. A- yeah, two contrasts. But AOC, you know, so the established leader, experience, Nancy Pelosi, and then the upstart, AOC, almost as much as Nancy Pelosi. And Chuck Schumer surprised me, 64%. Mm. But, you know, I I think of the shutdown. He's, he's gotten his act together during the shutdown. I'll give him that. Yeah. I'll give him that. That's amazing right. about AOC. Right, right. Uh, uh, on the political front, we have a uh, new candidate today. Well, another day, another candidate. Yes, he is from uh, Indiana. He is a mayor, former mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana. He was a candidate for chair of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, he has been a guest in studio sitting right in that chair here. His name is Pete Buttigieg. He is, I believe, I've been thinking today, well, let's say he is an openly gay man. I believe he's the first openly gay person of either party to run for president of the United States. Pardon me. You tell me if I'm wrong. I th- 
Yeah, Barney Frank never just ran off, for yeah, president. Yeah, no, just right? off the top I mean, of my head, I can't think of anybody. I'm sure they'll let us know if we're uh, wrong on Twitter at BP Show. On Twitter show. at BP Show, if I'm wrong. But anyway, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. Got great ideas. Talk. It's a long shot for sure. Uh, but he is, uh, as he says here in his announcement, he does represent a new generation of Democratic leaders. Very exciting. I belong to a generation that is stepping forward right now. We're the generation that lived through school shootings, that served in the wars after 9-11. And uh, so good for Pete Buttigieg. We'll try to get him back in so you can get to know him a little better. And uh, by the way, Kamala Harris in the first 24 hours, right after she announced, she raked in one and a half million dollars in online small contributions, which is exactly what Bernie Sanders got in the 24 hours after he announced. I saw them eight years ago. They reported that in or four years ago, like in like the three hours after her appearance, uh, where she announced she was running in the morning. Uh, they had contributions from all 50 states. Mm-hmm. They were uh, just pouring in. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So uh, she, she started off uh, certainly with a bang, and she will be featured in a town hall on CNN uh, Monday night. That's, that means she's a serious candidate. That's the official standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, as we mentioned, on the shutdown, uh, many, many, many uh, federal employees and beyond federal employees impacted, particularly the airline industry, Sarah Nelson, who's president of the Association of Flight Attendants, is will be joining us in studio here after a quick break. We'll be then we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Wednesday, January twenty third. Uh, so good to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. We are there right alongside of you, either online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Or we're looking at you on Free Speech TV, and you're looking back at us. Uh, and joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana and all over the Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice in Chicago, coming to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, directly impacted all of them by this uh, in this outrageous shutdown now in day 33. So we salute them, wish them well, uh, give them some props for suing the Trump administration over the shutdown, and invite you to check out their website at afge.org. Also very impacted by and very much a part of the effort to end this shutdown and rally the federal employees. Sarah Nelson is the president of the International Association of flight attendants, a good friend, and kind enough to come in and join us this morning. Sarah, it's always good to see you. I'm always happy to be with you, Bill. And under these circumstances, uh, we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do, right? We have a, a lot, lot of work lot. to do, right. yes. So I want to hear all about it. But first, uh, catch up with some of our uh, listeners and viewers from the last half hour. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. We talk a lot about Rudy Giuliani. Uh, he, uh, Game Over tweeted, Rudy would prefer his headstone read, quote, had to lie for a corrupt president rather than, quote, most corrupt New York City mayor who profited <laughs> insanely from 9-11 and its aftermath. Yeah. Uh, he did say yesterday that he's afraid that his tombstone will read, I lied for Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I guess is 
slightly better than uh, the alternative. Uh, KG says, impeach Brett Kavanaugh for perjury in the Senate. Yes, absolutely. Larry Carn says, good morning. Need to get the government back to work. We are an embarrassment in the eyes of the rest of the world. Where and uh, just a reminder, I mentioned this yesterday. Our buddy Phil, PhillyFan underscore 99 on Twitter, says, just a reminder, the Occupy Heart protest is in the Heart Senate Office Building atrium today at 12 p.m. noon Eastern time today uh, using the uh, hashtag Occupy Heart, H-A-R-T. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get some more information on that, that's a great way to look into it. Right. Find uh, us on Twitter, by the way, at BP Show. Uh, the Heart Office Building, I remember that atrium. I was there when it was occupied by women protesting the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, right? And you'll be there today, Sarah? I will be there today, absolutely. We, we are 100% on this shutdown because this has a direct impact on our safety, security, and our jobs. So uh, we're, we're, we're all in. This is all our union is doing right now. This is, this is solidarity at its best, right? It has yeah. to be solidarity at its best. This is we, we, we cannot allow this to go on. We've never had a shutdown go on this long. And so we can't even predict the full problems that are going to be created by it. And I can I can talk to you about some of those because I'm talking directly every single day with the unions that are affected, the people on the ground who know what's happening here, and they are just on the tip of the spear. No one is going to get away unscathed. What? So the, uh, the purpose of today's occupation of heart is just to, again, make the point, right? Mm-hmm. Well, look, I mean, we have to have an adult here, okay? So we've never had a shutdown go on this long, and there's a reason for that. Because the work that the federal employees do to keep us safe and to keep programs running are critical to our nation running. of a collapse with the air traffic controllers, with transportation security officers, our uh, corrections officers in federal prisons are pleading with us for help. They are, um, they are, uh, they're uh, managing the most violent offenders and saying that they may mm-hmm. take over our prisons. Um, so we are, and the FBI is telling us they can't do their job. They have been effectively shut out from doing their job. And a, a lot of these people are coming to work because they've been determined that it's essential for them, for the country to continue to run. But what about their own safety and security? What, at, at what point is it their breaking point? Tomorrow is another paycheck missed. And most Americans can't afford to miss one paycheck. Most Americans can't afford to even have a $400 unforeseen bill that they need to cover um, in order to stay uh, above water. So uh, this is this is really concerning, and it is going to affect all of us. We had a briefing from the uh, National Air Traffic Controllers Association President Paul Rinaldi last night mm-hmm. on a call with my leadership, and uh, he is talking about uh, 20% of his membership who are eligible to retire. Um, They are at 30-year all-time lows already. They're understaffed. These are air traffic controllers who are mandated to retire at age 56 because it's such a stressful job. And these people who have to get it right 100% of the time, we're telling them, you're not going to get a paycheck. You're not going to be able to provide for your family. Oh, you know, we, we really need you to be rested and come to work. But now you're going to have to go out and drive Uber and Lyft and wait tables just to get your family to get by, not get any sleep, and put that added stress on you as an air traffic controller. 
if those 20% decide to put in their retirement papers because they just can't do it anymore and they go out and get some other work and collect their pension when the government gets open again, uh, the system goes down. And we're talking 50% of the flights stay on the ground just with that move alone. What about the rest of them who are new to the job, don't have as much invested, can Mm -hmm. leave? The entire system can come down. And, you know, in 1980... Are we uh, close to that? We are very close to that. So we don't know when that breaking point is. I want to I want to remind everyone, this has never gone on this long because lawmakers have never uh, wanted to test this this long. They understand mm-hmm. the urgency because they have some sort of clue about what the government does for the American public. And uh, this this game of chicken where we are holding these federal workers hostage and the rest of us hostage very soon. Okay, medicines won't be delivered to hospitals or to homes when those planes stop. We won't be able to load the uh, trucks with goods to get to our communities. We won't be able to service our communities. No one is going to get out unscathed. And so the action in heart today is really to say, Mitch McConnell, get your act together because you could have ended this thing a long time ago You need to get your caucus together, get a veto-proof bill to open the government, and then continue with our democracy. Because when you are standing in the middle of a field and a thunderstorm starts and lightning is about to strike, you don't stand there with your friends and negotiate which direction you're going to go to get out of the way. No, you take go and take cover. And then you talk about where you're going to go next. They need to open the government and then continue with our democracy about what border security looks like. And another thing about border security, Bill, yeah. I am on a roll here because I'm I, telling I you, I this is no, 100% I... of the time we're working on this because we feel this is so urgent. But there are more people who immigrate to this country by air on our planes. OK, and right now, right now, we are less safe and we are less secure. We have 1,500 people at DHS who normally work on cybersecurity who are furloughed, not doing that work. Mm. We have the, none of the safety programs that are in place that back up the air they're, traffic they're controllers. They're not considered essential, in other words. They're right. not considered they're, essential. That's right. right. And, and we have uh, uh, safety inspectors who are not being paid right now at the FAA who have been called back to work, but they don't have any of the tools to do their job. They don't have enforcement. Um, and we have other countries who are looking at us and saying, is it going to be safe to accept an American plane in our country? I'm not sure. I mean, this is really we are really at a breaking point here. And when uh, these very patriotic Americans who have continued to go to work and do the jobs to keep us safe uh, can no longer do it because they they just cannot do it and provide for their families for their own personal needs we have we have the woman who stretched insulin through the night and wasn't sure if she would wake up in the morning didn't want to tell her husband uh that she was down low on insulin and couldn't afford it because she didn't want to stress him out okay there we have the law enforcement officer who works in a federal prison who tried to take his life because he saw no other way out we have the pregnant uh, uh tsa officer who is totally unsure what she's going to do for her unborn child or whether or not she's going to have a job in healthcare to even have the baby, right? So um, we are putting people through tremendous stress here. It's a humanitarian crisis. But when those people can no longer make this work and walk off the job, the rest of us will feel it. I know what it's like when the planes stop. My friends died on 9-11. I know what it's like. I know what happens to this country. Mm-hmm. And this is self-inflicted. We are inviting harm from those who want to hurt us right now, 
And we are also putting upon ourselves because the safety programs that keep us safe and those networks are not operating right now. All right. Two things. Two things I want to ask you. One, a lot, but particularly two. One is I just have the feeling that most Americans don't realize how this does or could impact them and basically don't give a damn, which is one of the reasons why Trump and the Republicans in Congress can get away with this. Why? Why aren't there protests in the street? Why aren't people just outraged at this idea that we'd expect these 800,000 people, plus all the rest who depend on them, uh, to work for nothing? This is the largest and longest lockout in American history. Yeah. A million people without a paycheck, some of them forced to come to work. That went out with the 13th Amendment, okay? This is I not thought, okay. Who yeah. are we as America? And I will tell you, our union is very concerned about this because we feel um, that none of us should be standing by while this is happening to our fellow Americans. But we are also very concerned because this is our jobs. This is our security. And we are, uh, I have called for a general strike. Labor needs to stand wow. up and lead the way. We need to call for a general strike. The All of America needs to understand that, again, the packages are not going to get to the Teamsters to load on the trucks. Right. We're not going to get to our communities what Amen. they need. Amen. Amen. That, that was the second thing I was going to ask you about. It seems to me that the workers do have the power to, to end this. It, we, Congress does, but they won't do anything. The president does, but he won't do anything. But the workers have the power if they don't show if they don't go to work, show up for work, right? So when you say a general strike, what do you mean? You mean not just people working for the federal government. You mean All everybody, right? of labor. All and of labor. frankly, you know, frankly, uh, private businesses, small businesses should join us because they are going to feel this too. Everyone, everyone should walk off. We need to plan a day of solidarity for these federal workers and for our own lives and for our own families. We need to reclaim our democracy. This is not the way democracy works. You do not, and, and, and we know that from our history. No one has ever tried to actually have a negotiations while there was a government shutdown. That is not the way that you do it. Open the government, and, uh, and if you don't, we need to take action together. And so we are talking about that. I was talking about that with my leadership last night. They very much support this message that I'm bringing to all of labor and to all of the American people. This is very serious. People need to understand. I think, I think that people don't really understand how this is going to affect them. They, they, people have never been so nice at a TSA checkpoint, by the way. I got to tell oh, you. Is that right? You know, transportation security <laughs> well, officers good. put up with a lot every day from do. the public. Oh, man. Yeah. But I, the, the one I, good. I, Plead guilty. <laughs> the one good thing about this, I would say, is that at those TSA checkpoints, we are seeing the best of America. We are seeing people who are expressing their concern, who are expressing their thanks, who are bringing things and trying to help them. You know, they're not supposed to accept things uh, yeah, for our yeah. security. They're not supposed to accept things. But people are really trying to help them and wrap their arms around them. That's really who America is. I'm actually in, in many ways heartened when I see that happening right now. Because I know that if we can get this message out about what this is really going to do to all of us, that the American people will act. And I believe that a general strike is absolutely possible. We need to be talking about this very openly. This is urgent. As I just described earlier, we don't know exactly what that breaking point is just on the air traffic controllers alone. But the planes are going to stop, and it is a matter of days or weeks before that happens. How about if we do it... Um 
a week before or four days before the Super Bowl. Well, okay, let's talk about the Super Bowl because, you know, no one is going to get away unscathed. The private jets won't be able to take off either. All right? Yeah, right. And no one is going to get to Atlanta. And this thing is going to unravel around or before the Super Bowl happens. So, yes, we need to take action before that. And we need to get everyone's attention to do that. How do you... who has to call? Have we ever had a general strike in this country? <laughs> it's been a long time since we've even <laughs> talked about it. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about this yesterday on the program. If this were France, if this were the UK. Oh, and, listen. Wait. And they said, all you workers have to come to work for a month, but we're not. you're not going to get paid. You know how long that would last? I mean, <laughs> about five minutes. Yeah. They would laugh them off the, off the, off the floor, right? Uh, that's and, right. and and here we are. We put about thirty three days so far. So um, how do you go? How so? If we haven't had one for a long time, how do you go about calling a general strike? It's got to be the leadership of organized labor, right? Does that have to be Richard Trumka who does it? Or I'm just curious. I'm I'm hundred percent with it. I'll tell you what. There are only four of us right here. We're all union members. Uh, this is the smallest union shop in town, I think. Uh, but we're with you. We'll be, we'll walk <laughs> off, starting with me, right? You, whatever uh, day it is. Right on. Well, you know. But uh, how do we do it? Sunday night, I was really honored to um, accept the drum major for justice award at the AFL-CIO MLK uh, awards dinner. Oh, and great. so there were 1,200 activists in the room there. And I did say to them, you need to go back and talk with your unions about a general strike. So... Uh, you know, I, I think we need to talk very openly about this. Some did people they, will. Did they hear that? They did heard they? that. Uh, well, they cheered. Are you kidding? They, yeah, I mean, good, people people good. get yeah. this. And and it, it was emotional in the room because there were stories being told about the hardships that people are feeling right now. But I really want to impress upon people, it, it, these million, million people, million people in this lockout who are experiencing these um, very real uh, personal crises um, because of what we're putting on them as federal workers, um, that is going to transfer to the rest of us. This is going to harm our economy like nothing we've seen before, and people need to understand that. We are. It, people have been talking about, oh, a, a recession's coming, we're going to see a downturn again. Let me tell you something. If it wasn't going to come, we, we're creating it, and we are weeks away from that happening. And weeks away from this being disastrous in all of our communities. And I am not, you know, I, let me tell you something. I work in an industry that is risk averse. We have safety professionals doing every area of work that needs to be done to keep the public safe. Okay. So for me to come here and tell you mm-hmm. we are less safe, we are less secure, that is painful actually. Mm. And any flight attendant, any pilot, any mechanic, any air traffic controller would tell you that. We, this is not something we say because we spend our whole life making sure that you are safe. That is our whole mission, our whole job. Um, so I don't say this lightly. That's what everyone needs to understand is that uh, what you don't see when these, those air traffic controllers go to work in dark rooms by themselves, out of the view of the public, with signs on fences outside their uh, facilities that say if anyone interferes with their work, it, is a, uh, it may be cause loss of death, I'm, loss of life, mm. and you can be uh, prosecuted to the full extent of federal law. That's how serious it is, the work that they do. But they go there in, in this dark space that no one sees. And I'm here to tell you that they get it right 100% of the time 
but they are cannot take it anymore. And right. those planes will stay on the ground, including those private jets. Right. Um, I mentioned this last night about my idea, uh, not as bold as yours, I readily admit, was simply that the air traffic controllers and the and TSA members go on strike for one day. Um, you're expanding far beyond that, which I, which is, you're totally right. I mean, solid, what is solidarity all about, right? We stand for our brothers and sisters, and we stand for the country, right? We have to stand together well, on this. But, uh, uh, but the response I got from a friend last night was, yeah, but they're not allowed to because it's illegal. They'll all be fired. Well, let's talk about practicalities. We saw this play out in 1980. How well the, did that work? It didn't work at all. And that was labor's moment to maintain our right to bargain. That was labor's moment to maintain our right to strike and to keep the collective bargaining process intact. Mm -hmm. This is our moment of redemption. We have an opportunity here to make up for what happened in 1980. When and to Ronald turn this Reagan around. fired the traffic Ronald air traffic Reagan controller. fired the, tra uh, the air traffic controllers. And I, I want to really impress upon the country, too, that he knew this was coming. This was a contract fight. This is something mm. that the air traffic controllers knew that they were doing. They were striking for their own contract. Today, these air traffic controllers have been thrown into something that has nothing to do with them. But let's yeah. just go back to 1980 for a minute. He was training managers. He was training people to take over those jobs. There is no military today. There is no backup today. We are at 30-year mm -hmm. lows. There is no way to make this work tomorrow. There is no way, even if, if uh, they were fired, which they will be, which is exactly what the president wants. Why would we give the other side, you know, in negotiations, you don't do that. You don't hand over what they want. It is not going to work. These federal workers can be prosecuted themselves. Um, they will be fired. They will not get their back pay. They will not get their pensions. They can be indicted as some of the PATCO strikers were. And that is not okay. This is our moment to stand with them and the very notion of labor is, I've got your back, okay? Solidarity is a force stronger than gravity. West Virginia teachers showed us that. Los Angeles uh, teachers yep. showed us that just yesterday, right? And yep. they had the whole community with them. They had the entire community with them. So I want to understand that you can have some inspirational leaders, and that's what we have in our teachers across the country this year. Absolutely, um, yeah. But they, what they know, mostly women, by the way, what they know is that they have to bring people with them. And we have to understand that as labor. People are dying for leadership here in this country. And, and labor can lead the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm so excited by what you're doing. Uh, and I, um, you know, I just wish I could do more. Um, our show is 100% supported by labor unions. I, I think one thing I can do is reach out to every one of the presidents of every one of those supporting unions and say, hey, uh, Sarah Nelson's, this is what she's proposing. You ought to go along with it. Uh, and uh, Are there any other unions to date that have said, we're on board if you go, we're part of it? Look, I think that um, there are probably discussions happening uh, yeah, internally. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I'm putting it right out there because, yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, because I don't think that we have time uh, to no. uh, go through the normal process. Normally you would prepare to do something like this, right? But this has been put upon us. And we have to respond and we have to act just like the workers in Europe would, just like you said. They'd put on those yellow vests and it would be over. It would be over. It'd be over like that. Like right? that. Uh, and I think a one-day strike, that's what you're talking about, right? Or, or, or are you talking general strike beyond that? 
Well, look, I mean, let's 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 keep this simple. okay? I I think a one hour strike would work here. But but the point is that we have to take action together. Right. Yeah. And were were that to happen, I'm sure that would end the shutdown like that. Absolutely. We need to get their attention. We need to help them understand the urgency of this. And uh, lawmakers would have to respond. And if it doesn't happen, um, it's going to be I mean, it's already chaos, but it's going to be economic Disaster. Yeah. What I'm saying is for us to walk off the job, this is not an action against our employers. This is an action for our employers. And I would actually encourage employers to join us because we need to save our American businesses. That's what's on the line here. Right. Um, before you go, can I just say something as a frequent flyer? Um, I don't think that uh, flying has ever been better than it is today or safer than it is today or more comfortable, and I really appreciate the work that you and all of your members do. Um, they're, they're, they're great, 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 great group of people. That is really kind of you, Bill, and I just want you to know that our whole mission is to take care of people, and we're going to do that in this instance, too, with our federal sisters and brothers. Yeah, well, great. Thank you so much for your leadership. Uh, Sarah Nelson for president. Uh, <laughs> people can follow you at afacwa.org. Or at Flying with Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Day 33 of the Trump shutdown uh, on this Wednesday, January 23rd. Dueling Bills. <laughs> I used to do a radio show by the name of Dueling Bills with Bill Pearl out in Los Angeles. But now it's the uh, Dueling Bills in front of the United States Senate on Thursday. Uh, the phony Trump plan and the very responsible, serious Democratic plan, both up for a vote in the U.S. Senate. Sadly, it doesn't look like either one of them will pass. It is the Bill Press Show here on this Wednesday, pardon me, Wednesday, January 23rd. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for being part of the program. As we got lots and lots and lots to talk about, yes, uh, the Supreme Court yesterday is saying um, we're not going to um, um, to support the Census Department in putting a citizenship question, uh, the Commerce Department rather, in putting a citizenship question on the next Census Bureau. Uh, the Supreme Court saying we're not going to jump right into the DACA question, and the Supreme Court saying we are going to jump back into gun control uh, and um, take up a case in New York City. Uh, boy, do we miss uh, Anthony Kennedy on some of those key votes. And the Supreme Court yesterday saying transgender Americans, the Trump administration, 
can proceed with their plan to ban any transgender Americans from serving in the military. So much going on. Uh, and, of course, Rudy Giuliani is still out there trying to explain what he means about when and how long Donald Trump talked to Michael Cohen about building that Trump Tower in Moscow. Got to run fast to keep up with all the news of the day. We will do so uh, with your help and with the help of Eugene Scott from The Washington Post in this next hour. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Be careful what you put on social media. That is not, that should not be a breaking news story, okay? Because this is this has been going on for quite some time, that people are putting dumb stuff up on social media. Well, now it can have very serious consequences. Insurance companies are looking at what you post on social media to try and figure out fraudulent claims. They specify one case in particular where a man filed an insurance claim uh, saying that he crashed his $60,000 Corvette uh, while he was driving uh, and that he had wrecked uh, while trying to get uh, off of an on-ramp, right? Well, it turns out there was a YouTube video of him drag racing that he posted. He posted no. video of him drag racing, and the insurance company found it and said, sorry, buddy, we don't pay insurance claims for drag racing Corvettes. So just be careful with what you put out there because they are watching. They are definitely watching. Haven't people learned that yet? Apparently, some people haven't, man. I just don't get it. Hey, you want to make your house smell good? You know, you can use incense. You could use a candle. Well, KFC has a great new idea. Oh, no. They are giving giving away gravy-scented candles at all of their UK locations. Gravy-scented candles? Smells like gravy the gravy that they this serve KFC? at KFC yes indeed does now, it smell like fried chicken well it smells <laughs> like they they did do a fried chicken candle before by the way <laughs> they did do a fried chicken candle before this is in the UK and it's it smells like gravy there's a photo of it and it it looks like a bowl of gravy with a wick in the middle of it but it's gravy scented <laughs> wax that you can light in your house so you know what you could have one of those, um, the uh, fried chicken candle, and then the gravy candle, and then the mashed potatoes. Got to have mashed potato candle, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The mac and cheese candle, like just just keep it going. You have a full uh, uh, a no full thanks. meal going on. Yeah, no, no I don't think so. That's not for me. No, all right, KFC, but at least you don't have to pay for them. They're free. That's right. That's right. This is the Bill Press Show. And on the Wednesday, January 23rd, yes, indeed, day 33 of the Trump shutdown with no end in sight. Hello, 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 everybody. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day. Great to see you. Thanks uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, and news on many fronts, but sadly... Uh, no really end in sight for the end uh, for the Trump shutdown. Um, but we do have a uh, 
new candidate for president, another Democrat every day, another Democrat announcing for president. Pete Buttigieg, a former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, announcing an exploratory committee yesterday, joining what is already a crowded field and about to get even more crowded. Thank you for joining us today as we come to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As we come to you on Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area, Chicago and all about on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, to help us through the big stories of the day. Nobody better than our good friend from the Washington Post, Eugene Scott. You know, it was Morning Joe yesterday or NBC, MSNBC yesterday and uh, the Bill Press show today. Hello, Eugene. So nice How to are see you? you. I'm good. How are you? Good. It's a busy time. It is. First yeah. time to see you in uh, 2019. I was just so thinking that. I don't, I don't think I've that. seen you. Happy New Year. I mean, where have you been? You know? uh, working like you. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> yeah, Goodness. how about it? Seems like uh, a lot has changed and a lot has remained the same in terms of the newsiness of it all. It has. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. It, re- it really is. Uh, as you and I always talk about, it's hard, hard to keep up with. But... Um, so yesterday, uh, the where do we start? We start almost anywhere. But yesterday, the Supreme Court had a very, very busy day. They did. Uh, one, one thing on the transgenders. Sorry, mm-hmm. So why is this such a big issue, transgender in the military? Why? I don't get it. I mean, yeah. what percentage of members of the military are transgender in the first place? Or what percentage of Americans? Why is this a national crisis? Sure. Um, It is my belief that more than anything else, what Donald Trump uh, is and has campaigned on is being a general in the culture wars of the social conservatives. And um, that includes the religious right. Um, So one thing that social conservatives or religious conservatives really hated about the Obama administration was the expansion of LGBT uh, issues and rights in in education, in the military, in areas beyond marriage, which obviously was the most uh, significant or visible um, expansion that came under the Obama administration. And uh, one of the reasons social conservatives backed Trump is because they knew at the very least he wouldn't expand LGBT rights um, and hopefully Mm -hmm. he would rescind some. And that's what he's doing with this transgender ban. And so um, it is not, to your point, uh, a huge deal that affects a large number of people. But it is a huge deal in the sense that it affects a large number of Americans' values about equality and who can uh, serve and who has the right uh, to represent this country. So the social conservatives really are very happy, right? This proves that he's... They are. Well, because the the way um, they... I mean, you may have seen this with... I don't know if you remember, but in December, the Senate passed um, a bill that made lynching illegal federally. Um, There was a socially conservative religious group called Liberty Council uh, that got upset with the Senate because included in the anti-lynching legislation was uh, wording that made it illegal to discriminate against people based on sexual orientation. And so the fear was that everything's a slippery slope to treating queer people as being equal to people who are not queer. Um, And so that's why every battle uh, gets fought. And this is another one of those. it, it, I, as someone who was, follows the court uh, made this comment yesterday that that this shows uh, what we knew was going to happen once an Anthony Kennedy leaves, particularly on LGBT cases. Yeah. Kennedy, as a swing vote, yeah. um, was a dependable, strong supporter. 
I'll do receiver on the court, on the bench. Yeah, he's gone. Brett Kavanaugh is there now, so it's a different yeah. world, different court. It is, and it could get even more different. And I mean, even more right. I mean, the reality is when you look at the makeup of the court right now. Um, excuse me. Some of the uh, people who may leave uh, next for whatever reason are much more likely to be people on the left and therefore able to be replaced by uh, conservative judges. And you know that one of the many reasons that social conservatives back Trump is because prior to winning the Republican nomination, he presented a list of pre-approved conservative judges that he would appoint uh, to all courts from the highest court down low that were um, uh, supported by the Federalist Society, which is a very conservative right. uh, legal organization. So what's your take on the shutdown? Uh, obviously, Donald Trump has basically uh, shut down the White House. It's, there's only one issue that he's talking about, only one issue they're dealing with. If you look at his schedule for the last 10 days, there's been nothing on his schedule except maybe one meeting or something or one speech on border, the border security. I, can it's, I interrupt for just a It's all about the wall. Uh-oh. Because he's, tweet, he he's tweeting this morning. Oh, he, he has I, a couple of tweets. He talks about uh, the great unity in the Republican Party, uh, oh. mentions border security, and then in, uh, he's tweeted three times in two of the tweets He's trying out some new language. I see. I see one of them. Go you ahead. You see yes. a trend. Mm -hmm. You yes. see a trend. Yes. Uh, build a wall and crime will fall. It's a bumper sticker presidency. Exactly. Yes. He mm -hmm. has it in two of his three tweets already this morning. He says, uh, build a wall and crime will fall. This is the new theme for two years until the wall is finished. Parentheses, it's under construction now of the Republican Party. You keep saying that, and the and, Washington Post and others keep pointing out that's wrong. It's wrong. And then he ends that tweet, which just says, use it and pray. And that's how he ends his tweet. And then he, and then uh, three minutes later, he tweets again. Build a wall and crime will fall. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we now know where... His rhetoric is going. Uh, and again, the Washington Post, uh, good work, Gene, has pointed out many, many times that uh, if you look at crimes committed, there are many more crimes committed by Americans. Sure. Right. Than I, yeah. there are by people who are here, happen to be here illegally. Yeah. No, I've, I've written about this quite a bit, as have probably every person at the Washington Post and other great media organizations. We have data that shows that people who are born in the United States are much more likely to commit crime, including violent crime, than people who have uh, immigrated into the country, even illegally. Right. There's also significant um, research done by think tanks that have studied this issue far longer than Donald Trump has been in uh, politics, uh, like the Brookings Institute, that prove that, quite frankly, none of the things that Donald Trump swears the wall will do, will it actually do in terms of keep people out, in terms of uh, cut down on human trafficking, cut down on uh, the illegal drug trade, cut down on crime. Um, it's it's just, quite frankly, from what I understand, um, it's a, it's a, a fact checker's nightmare uh, just keeping up with some of his statements. Um, and it's fascinating because obviously we know that there are conservative think tanks who could make arguments for the wall um, that would support the president's desire, but he doesn't seem to lean into those arguments. He seems to lean into these uh, ideas. I remember, I believe it was either last week or a week ago, he said that undocumented immigrants were crossing the border in, tech, in cars that were more advanced than American police cars. I was like, so why are they walking from Honduras then? Like seriously, it's just no, it's just it, ludicrous. No, it is. But so I, 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 this kind of backs up the question I started to ask you, which is now we're in day thirty-three. 
He is single uh, focused on this, you know, exclusively. Um, And a lot of people are hurting. Who's winning this battle? Is, Is Trump winning? He's not. I mean, the majority of Americans blame him. Um, and so he's not winning, and he's very sensitive to the fact that uh, he's not winning. Does he know he's not winning? I think he has some sense because um, many organizations, uh, be they uh, you know networks, CNN, and MSNBC, as well as print publications, um, are writing and telling the stories of people affected by the shutdown who are in Trump's America. Um, and who voted for Trump. And people have come out saying we are not going to back him the way we uh, previously did. If you look at some of the other recent polls. There are um, also stories, again, that that internally in the White House, he's been complaining and bitching about, sure. you know, the fact that I'm getting blamed for this. Or why aren't we winning this battle? I mean, that's so that he's frustrated. He is. It. Uh, for a few reasons. One, in part, because uh, you're getting blamed for it because in your initial meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck, Chuck Schumer, you said you would take full responsibility of the mm-hmm. shutdown. And so Americans are holding him to his word. Um, but also, I think people realize uh, that what he's saying the shutdown will do, they're not confident that it will actually do. And even before we moved in this area of focusing on the shutdown, large percentages of uh, the American public, at least 51 percent, uh, did not support building a wall, um, including conservative lawmakers along the border. I know William Hurd in Texas has been a vocal critic of the yeah, wall. Right. Um, and so this just wasn't something that uh, people uh, got behind. And many of the people who did get behind it in 2016 did so because the president told them that Mexico would pay for the wall. Now that they realize that the president wants them to pay for the wall um, and is, you know, keeping some of them out of work until they agree to, their lawmakers agree to, uh, it's hard for people to get behind that. So you mentioned uh, some of the statements that the president has made, uh, I saw, uh, which are false, and he doesn't never talks about the wall without repeating the same uh, false claims. Um, Glenn Kessler, your colleague at the Washington Post. It's a busy man these days. Uh, is he ever... <laughs> Uh, so he put out the numbers for the first two years mm-hmm. uh, in terms of false claims mm-hmm. uh, or just outright lies, whatever, yeah. let's call them, that Donald Trump has had. Uh, his numbers, I'm sure you know, just mm-hmm. repeating them for all of our fans across the country. Uh, in the first two years, by his count, Donald Trump has told 8,158, made 8,158 8, false or misleading claims. Yeah. Yeah, I think he said... 6,000 of them in the second year alone. alone, Wow. Right? So he got away with so much in the first year, he thought, oh, hey, year number two. Take it up. Boo! Let's go, right? Sky's the limit, as Peter said. Uh, That's an average of 5.9 lies a day in the Mm. first year and 16 and a half lies a day uh, in the second year. What can you do when a president just manifestly lies all the time? Well, keep keep checking him. And, you know, there's a there's a bit of debate about how effective fact checking was uh, during the campaign, uh, because there was a lot of fact checking there. And he still obviously, you know, continued to win um, Republican voters. But two things are, I think, really important to realize. Uh, Donald Trump did not win the majority of Americans who voted. And so the idea that they weren't um, effective at all, fact checking wasn't effective at all. I don't believe it's a fact in and of itself. Um, we now see that the president's approval rating 
um, is declining, including with some of the demographics that backed him most strongly uh, in 2016, such as white working class voters and white evangelicals. Most of them still support him, mm -hmm. just not to the degree that they used to. And if you look at some Trump supporters, many of them will admit that the president is not truthful. Um, and so at the end of the day, I think um, what what fact checkers realize is that this, this is helpful in terms of keeping the public informed. Right. Uh, another aspect of the Trump presidency has been talked about. Um, we remember Michael Wolff's book, mm. um, right, about all the disarray sure. in the White House. Uh, and there's a new book coming out next week called, I think, Nest of Vipers by okay. Cliff Sims. Have you I had not seen it. This is book, which I haven't seen it either, mm -hmm. but I've just seen news stories about okay. it. It happens to be uh, by St. Martin's Press and Tom Dunn at St. Martin's Press, who's my publisher. Right. So I know a little bit about it. It also paints a, a picture of a White House in total disarray. Of all people, Tom Brokaw, mm -hmm. I mean, in sort of our senior yeah. like icon, icon mm -hmm. right, um, was on uh, MS yesterday. And he talked about um, even under Richard Nixon, hmm. when he was being impeached, that the White House was still a lot better organized uh, for action mm -hmm. than the Trump White House is. Yeah. Just let's listen to Tom Brokaw. This kind of scares the hell out of you. Sure. I've, I've been looking into the last year of Richard Nixon. That was extraordinarily well run and organized compared to what's going on now. I mean, he was under siege, obviously. People forget that in October of 1973, Israel almost went down because it was invaded by Egypt and by Syria with the backing of the Russians. Nixon saved Israel during that time. If something like that happened now, I can't imagine the chaos that would exist in the national security offices and in the White House about how we respond to that kind of an international crisis. It makes you wonder, really, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, whether they're up to the job and how they can get the job done. Mm -hmm. And to say for the last two weeks, well, since before Christmas, Donald Trump has not talked about anything at all except sure. his wall. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I guess it seems, um, you know, maybe mind-blowing or eye-opening to most people to hear that this White House could be more chaotic than the Nixon White House just because of what, happened to the Nixon presidency. But if you look at the individuals who served in the Nixon White House across the board from the top all the way down, they had far more policy making experience than the Trump White House. So it shouldn't be that much of a there surprise. Were, that's right. There are a lot of serious players. Right. There, yeah, I mean, as opposed to now. Right? Just because Nixon had uh, all of his stuff and there were obviously accomplices involved, that didn't mean that there weren't people who had been serving government uh, from, you know, co college internships, working on campaigns all the way up to now. I mean, where we are now, with all due respect, we're talking about Ivanka Trump possibly being oh, in leadership yeah. positions of the World Bank. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's where we are right now. I mean, um, there were conversations mm -hmm. yesterday about Jared Kushner, who has been involved in criminal justice reform, um, going to uh, the the Hill because he's one of the White House's strongest surrogates to connect with Democrats. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about a very different uh, level of skill and expertise and experience right now. Um, we started this week with the um, uh, commemoration of Martin Luther King Day. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Peter, do we have uh, – it, it will take us a long time to play it, but I think it's worth it. Uh, were you – as an African-American, I wanted to know your impression of Donald Trump's address to the nation about the about uh, the vision and the legacy of Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Day. We know that 
Uh, he went out to the Martin uh, Luther King Memorial, mm-hmm. uh, and he gave a very stirring address. It, it takes it take a while, but here is the totality of Donald Trump's comments about Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Day. It's a great day. It's a beautiful day. And thank you for being here. Appreciate it. What? Is it all, that's it. It's, that's, it's, all, that's all we got. That's it's over already? Said. That's all he said. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I have seen him write longer tweets about Jim Comey than what he gave uh, Martin Luther King. And... He's I, done longer tweets about ice cream than what he gave I mean, Martin Luther King. Very, yeah, I po- mean. very possible. I I think I was I was genuinely surprised when um, it became clear Sunday night that he had no events planned um, on Martin Luther King Day, and I was very surprised when even as of Monday morning there still were no events planned. Um, just because it is a federal holiday uh, where so many people. Um, uh, show their respect for uh, King's legacy. I mean, at worst, we've seen King's legacy co-opted to defend whatever you want it to defend, which like is Mike, which is what sorry. Mike Pence did, right? Yeah. And so, uh, suggesting, yeah, that if King were alive today, he would be supporting the wall. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, we we've seen NRA tweeted something in, uh, supporting how uh, King was a supporter of. Uh, gun rights. I mean, you really, you King uh, Trump could have made Martin Luther King say whatever he wanted him to say, um, but for much of much of the day, he made he didn't say anything at all, um, and it was uh, fascinating. And I and I wrote about this because you may remember during the 2016 campaign, uh, President Trump, um, his the 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 uh, crux of his black voter outreach was asking black Americans what did they have to lose uh, by giving him a chance. And for many black Americans, I mean, the acknowledging civil rights uh, and how much more still needs to be done um, is proof of what what they believe they lost when President Barack Obama left the White House and Trump came in. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're right. It, it, it was pretty apparent to me that somebody at the White House said, oh, sh- I, I almost said it. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Or uh, whatever. I forgot. Uh, we uh, God, this is Martin Luther King that we didn't have. We didn't schedule it. We have. There's nothing. We better do something. Well, they're right. Co- they said, "What can we do?" They said, "Well, how about just running down? Just go down there. Down there. Two minutes. The entire visit. Getting out of the car, walking in to the monument site. Yeah. Laying the wreath, saying those uh, the stirring words, walking back to the car. Two minutes. Yeah. I mean, a couple things. Some some said the fact that he did not even address. Um, Martin Luther King gave some people the impression that he didn't even know where he was going or why. Um, <laughs> it could be. It, it's very where possible. It's worth noting that um, obviously it's not only the responsibility of black Americans to celebrate Martin Luther King Day, but when you have zero blacks in your senior leadership, um, you, the, the likelihood of Martin Luther King being acknowledged probably goes down quite a bit. Um, but what was fascinating to me is uh, MLK Day was... Uh, a really busy day in terms of potential 2020 presidential candidates. Yes, with yes. Kamala Harris, uh, Joe making Biden her announcement making her day. announcement. Uh, um, right. California jo- Senator Joe Biden spoke at the Al Sharpton breakfast. So uh, did Michael Mike Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Yeah, uh, I was surprised by that, but I've yeah. been told by a, a Bloomberg associate that. He and Sharpton actually go way back to when he was mayor. That they have a long relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I've I've 
uh, covered urban policy for a long time. And when, when you write about cities, you always end up looking at New York. And if, I, I can't imagine uh, you'd spend a lot of time in New York in terms of trying to shape the politics and culture of the city without running into Michael Bloomberg and or Al and Sharpton absolutely. at some point. Right. And so it was and really Atlanta, interesting. Atlanta, we had Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker. Yeah. The same. It was it was a it was a very busy day in terms of 2020. Um, And I was thinking about you because I know you obviously had lots of thoughts about 2016 and the left. Um, And I was just wondering, and it's obviously pretty early, but are there any candidates so far that you're really eyeing or you're really interested in learning more about? Uh, I'm with Richard Ojeda. Oh, already? Yeah, uh-huh. already. People, people, I know you're joking, but people forget he was the first to officially get in. I know. Yeah. No, I, I think John Delaney was. Fair. John Fair. Delaney, yeah, John yeah. Delaney got in like the day after the inauguration. Uh, well, okay, since we you've taken us there, no, I do not have a candidate for 2020. I'm just watching it all just play watching. out for now. I which knew, I think I knew is, you did, and I was trying to get some breaking news here. <laughs> well, uh, the breaking news, of course, uh, a couple of things. Kamala Harris, um, in the first 24 hours, one and a half million dollars. Yeah. Contributions, small countries from every one of the fifty states. Wow! So she's going. She has to be taken seriously. Oh, right? absolutely! I I did a. Is uh, she the new Barack Obama? So I talked about that yesterday on a podcast for the Washington Post called Post Reports. I've retweeted it. Go on my Twitter uh, right. profile. And to your point, she is actually viewed as the female Barack Obama for a few reasons. One, she has this really interesting ethnic background. Her mother was an Indian immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the states who was a doctor focused on breast cancer uh, science. Her father is a Jamaican uh, economics mm-hmm. professor at Stanford. Um, and so, you know, she she knows what it's like to grow up in these different worlds. She went to high school in Montreal, born in Oakland. And so um, very much like Barack Obama in terms of spending some of her former years. You sure years she was born globally. in the United States? I'm sure we're going to find ourselves in the birther situation <laughs> all over again. I mean, I saw some conservative Probably. trolls uh, suggesting mm-hmm. that um, it's impossible that literally this guy said uh, it's it's really hard to go to high school in Montreal uh, from Oakland. It's like she moved to Montreal at seven years old. Her her mother got a job we go at again. McGill. Yeah, right. um, and so that's where we'll be. But um, that's not a surprise, though, because people are asking we, we're having we're having a moment where people are wondering, what does it mean to be American? Right. Can can you be different in terms of race or gender or sexual orientation and and still represent these people and these conversations will rise again. Uh, and she, uh, in the one rap uh, that that I hear about her is, and I know her not all that well, but she's from California mm-hmm. and she was uh, a district attorney in San Francisco and then, so former prosecutor and then attorney general yeah. in, in California. Yeah. Some people saying that she's, you know, too tough as right. a prosecutor. She's good. Pro death penalty, yeah, you know, uh, too far to the right on law enforcement issues. That's going to be a real issue with uh, many progressives in the Democratic Party. Uh, she has a record, uh, according to some, of being too tough on uh, felons in cases that were not clear uh, cut. Right. Um, and um, you know, criminal justice reform, quite frankly, is one of the top issues of young voters, millennials, which is the largest voting block right now. Um, and so she'll have to ask quite a few questions. I think questions. she's very, very much on board with the criminal justice reform movement. She is. She is. Oh, but, yeah. Okay, quickly, a couple of other candidates uh, have jumped in. Tulsi Gabbard. Yes. Uh, who also has been on her own little apology tour. Because, she has. Uh, she has a past not so um, uh, well-liked by progressives where right. she was really... Um, 
leading a movement in Hawaii, yeah. leading an initiative campaign mm -hmm. in Hawaii to ban same-sex marriage. Yeah, as a Democrat. As, as a Democrat, yeah. now running as a progressive. I mean, right? Yeah. what? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting story. I mean, her father also is a Democrat, and right. he was pretty much the point person uh, uh, um, -gay. Uh, fighting against uh, yeah. same-sex marriage, gay, uh, marriage equality uh, in Hawaii. Um, and she's had to obviously come out and, um, you know, apologize for her actions uh, in 2002 when she was elected to uh, Hawaii's legislature, I believe the youngest person in history or at least the youngest woman. Um, but it's been fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, um, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, when they ran for president in 2008, uh, were not supporters of same-sex marriage. Um, and so it's been really interesting watching the Democratic Party as a whole uh, become more progressive on these issues. And I think many people are going to... Um, but I would point out, they were not supportive, but they were not the leaders of right. the opposition. Yeah. I, I think the main difference between, like, a lot of the Democratic leaders who who, who were against same-sex yeah. marriage and were vocal about being against same-sex marriage is one thing. Tulsa Gabbard was, like, advocating for conversion therapy right. and things too. like that. Yeah. So, like, and yeah. she took it to a whole new level. No, absolutely. It's yeah. all bad. You're right. It's, yeah. It was all bad. But, like, oh, she went... Yeah, at the White House, we we put we pressed Obama over and over yeah. on that, and he was evolving. Yeah, I kept saying. Yeah, and then Joe Biden. Yeah, he yeah. forced him to evolve. Forced him to evolve. <laughs> he did, and it was interesting. I was as I was looking into the Tulsi Gabbard uh, story. You know, you of course have to look at Joe Biden, and I believe his language initially was something like, "I." I would be okay with that, or I I would not be uncomfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even a ringing no, endorsement. Yeah. It's, but um, yeah, the, the the fact of the matter is, we now know just how dangerous gay conversion therapy is, which is still legal in more than forty states. Is it really? Yes. The New York Times had an opinion piece about it. Oh. Um, in the past year that I tweeted, I got to send it to you. And uh, so it's and but you know uh, the American Psychological Association has called it incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wait, we got. So I'll tell you what, we're going to put off the next, the latest Democratic candidate, okay. Pete Buttigieg, yeah. until after the break. We've got to take a break here, awesome. uh, and and then we'll uh, welcome uh, to our conversation uh, Gene Stacey here, Eugene Scott, as a friend of Bill. Ginger Gibson from Reuters will be joining us with all of you, so don't go away. Give us a quick break. We'll come back and uh, talk about the latest Democrat to jump into the race, and then a lot of other news we didn't get to yet here on the Bill Press Show Wednesday, January 23rd. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. You bet it is Wednesday, January 23rd. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Good to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women of the AFT, especially the teachers of Los Angeles, under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten, the national president of the AFT, celebrating a great big victory today, uh, a deal reached between the school board and the mayor and the teachers union, uh, basically giving the teachers uh, almost everything they were asking for uh, and well-deserved. Uh, the teachers have to vote to accept that agreement, but with the leadership of the union on board, Looks like that's going to put get teachers back in the classrooms either today or tomorrow. We salute them. Direct you to their website at aft.org. And join me in welcoming again here as a friend of Bill, um, 
so kind as to stay with us the entire hour. Eugene Scott from The Washington Post. How can people follow you? Uh, at Eugene underscore Scott. At Eugene underscore Scott mm-hmm. on Twitter. On Twitter. Yep. Yeah. And he's a busy man on Twitter. So be, be careful there. Make There's a lot on, to tweet. Make room in your Twitter account, <laughs> Eugene Scott. Uh, and now joined uh, by Ginger Rogers from the from Reuters. Ginger Gibson. <laughs> Ginger Rogers. You're not the oh, first person God. to do that. It just flowed out. It just flowed <laughs> out. Oh, I'm Fred sorry. Astaire still in with us for the hour, and Ginger Rogers is here. You so. do it backwards and high heels. Quite a dance. <laughs> she, she didn't even budge. She's like, I've no, heard that for said. 20 years. Oh, <laughs> yeah. How are you? That's yeah, good. 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 To Glad you. to be thanks, here. Thanks for joining. So we were talking a little bit about Tulsi Gabbard before you um, came in, and you've just back from Iowa with your own take on Tulsi Gabbard? I am. I was in Iowa this weekend where Kirsten Gillibrand was campaigning and followed her around the state, talked to oh, a lot yeah. of voters. I have to say, uh, I think Gabbard's going to have a hard time getting off the ground there. Voters telling me uh, that her participation in that gay conversion company is just a non-starter. Had a voter in, in Sioux City tell me that uh, people don't want to host house parties for Gabbard, mm-hmm. which is really how you start campaigning in Iowa mm-hmm. um, yeah. because they yeah. don't want to uh, insult their gay friends yeah. by having her in their home. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism on the Iowa electorate for being too conservative, especially in the Democratic Party, to hold the first primary. Uh, but let me assure you, that is not a place where they are being too conservative. Uh, yeah. They are they are quite liberal. They are they are. There was no, you know, question or possibility. It was a deal breaker for mm-hmm. almost everyone I talked to. I was yeah. actually talking to a few uh, voters in Iowa, and they are so, like, embarrassed by the Steve King uh, story and this idea that Iowa is just this hot plate of intolerance that they just don't want to perpetuate that any further. Right. Yeah. So, pardon me, I, I'm open to any and all of the candidates. I think the more the merrier to a certain extent. But I do find a, um, it hard to, to see any rationale or future for Tulsi Gabbard's campaign, you know, why she's running or how she would expect to break through. But at any rate, you were there with Kirsten Gillibrand. How did she do? She exceeded expectations for a lot of people. A lot of voters in the room told me she did better than they thought she was going to do. Mm. Um, I think one of the key things to look to be understanding in what's happening in Iowa right now, crowds twice the size that organizers expect. And they said it wasn't about Gillibrand or Warren. This year, this year, yes, really? this week, 25 people in the small town of Boone. Organizers said normally they get 10 um, at at. Eight o'clock in the morning with snow on the ground. I needed my four-wheel drive to get there. Um, they think it's about a real pent-up desire to get rid of Trump, especially mm-hmm. uh, among the Democrats. And they're fired up and they're ready to go. And they're, they told me they'll listen to anyone who comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're, mm-hmm. they're an engaged electorate. Uh, Gillibrand probably got a little bit of a benefit from that uh, being there uh, early in the process. She talked about as, a as lot of issues. Elizabeth Warren, as did Elizabeth good. Warren. Um, uh, you know, packed rooms everywhere they went. Mm. Wow. Mm. Uh, now, will Pete Buttigieg from uh, South Bend, Indiana, get the same? First of all, he put out a little video yesterday uh, announcing uh, who he is. I belong to a generation that is stepping forward right now. We're the generation that lived through school shootings, that served in the wars after 9-11. Uh, ran for a Democratic national chair uh, the last time, didn't make it, but got a little bit of national exposure. Mm -hmm. This is a big leap for him, Gene. I definitely think it is, uh, but I think uh, he has uh, obviously some name recognition because of DNC, uh, and he is 
uh, I remember putting forward some ideas that the younger voters, I mean, he's a millennial, 37 years old, uh, find very interesting, such as uh, gun control uh, has been pretty vocal on climate change. And I think it's going to be um, an interesting uh, part of the conversation as long as he can remain in. Obviously, we know a big question will always be, can he raise funds? Small town mayor. Yeah. It's going to be very hard. If you look at some preliminary polling of the Democratic electorate, they want someone with experience. Yeah. Um, I think there's a clear response to Trump um, that they're saying ideology <laughs> second, like winnability and experience first. And I think that's going to be a difficult hurdle. I also think that, you know, his, his sort of message coming into this is my ideas are really good. Right. Mm-hmm. I have the right ideas, mm-hmm. but they're not outside the mainstream of the mm-hmm. rest of that field. Right. Um, he's in agreement, I mean, with Kristen Gillibrand, who we would call a moderate mm-hmm. on a lot of those issues. Uh, it's going to be hard for him to use that as a distinguishing factor, I yeah. think, in this field. I've been trying to think this morning uh, of anyone else. Is he the first openly gay man to or gay person to run for president? I think so. I think so. I, I can't think of anybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Right, uh, and and good for him, and he is. Yeah, but, I mean, and, and nobody's ta- by the way, nobody's talking about that. It's almost like okay. well, well, soon. I mean, it's it's oh, yeah, a bit. It's know. been like two uh, hours, uh, right? True. But yeah, th- I mean, right. this will be without question uh, an an identity politics election, uh, in part because in response to Trump, he ran such an identity politics campaign. Uh, many people would say based on traditionalism and 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 ideas of faith and, and race and masculinity and what America is. And I think we're going to see more candidates on the left uh, try to put forward a message that says America is bigger than that and should be welcome to people outside of our traditional ideas of what America is. So, Ginger, you, you use two words, um, experience and winnability. Mm-hmm. Sounds to me like you're talking Joe Biden. You know, I I I was I asked a lot of folks in Iowa too about Biden and I got mixed reception. No mm-hmm. one no one rules him out. No one dislikes him. Sure. Right? Um, I think that if Biden runs, uh, he's going to have a real race. Wait, wait, wait. In the primary, is there any doubt among the three of us that Biden's going to run? I would not put all of my my chips in that in that really? box. No, really? I I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a hundred percent right now. But I mean, I would I would guess it's in the nineties. Um, but I, I, I will say this is important. I mean, I was talking to some voters in South Carolina. Um, we talk about, you know, winnability. Uh, and, you know, South Carolina is one of the states that has a large percentage of black voters, uh, black voters being a large, important block in the Democratic and, Party. And certainly the first of the states in the primaries right. that has almost any. Yeah. Black I, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Especially, I mean, New Hampshire. Iowa, 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 yeah. New Hampshire. yeah. I think one of the things you have to remember is that the Democratic electorate at large is not in agreement about what winning ability looks like. Um, I think that there's a segment of the population that says somebody who can fight Trump, who can get down in the gutter and fight him, of which Biden might fall into that category, Mm. uh, is the way to beat Trump. But there's another camp that thinks you fight fire with water Mm. um, and that fighting Trump is the wrong way to go. And they want someone that's wonky and nerdy Mm -hmm. and is going to ignore him. Mm. Um, And they think that's the best foil to him. And, And that's a you know, a Klobuchar right. um, or a Hickenlooper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we should. Or a Jay Inslee. Or I don't, and maybe Jay Inslee, but he wants to make himself a fighter, right? Um, oh, oh, okay. But I but I, I don't know that we should discount that 
how large potentially that segment of the Democratic electorate is. And that second group we remember uh, really had a hard time when Biden threatened to like beat up Trump or something or get into yeah. some physical match. Literally yeah. threatened to take him behind the shed and get into a fist fight. That's yeah. not what they wanted. And I mean, if we think back to the 2018 midterms, uh, one of the reasons uh, many said the Democrats were so successful is because a lot of them, especially Nancy Pelosi, did not respond to every single tweet that Trump put out. They just kept putting forward their ideas and voters heard them there. Um, and, and it's been said you can't beat Trump at being Trumpy. No. Right. No. Uh-uh. no. And Democrats would make a big mistake to that. So um, if you're not 100 percent that uh, Joe Biden's going to jump in, are you 100 percent that Bernie Sanders is going to jump in? No. No, really? I'm not 100 percent that Bernie Sanders is going to jump in. I mean, again, I think it's high, um, and I and I think he's seriously, you know, very close to, oh, to yeah. making that decision. Yeah. Um, but I I do think that he is going to have a reality check. I mean, look at how much of his staff aren't going to work for him again. Right. Um. I and and I talked to someone who was a supporter in 16, and they said, look, given the options. He was my best option that they thought at the time. Um, but given the options now, they don't think he's his best option anymore. He's hearing that. There are that. certainly more options. There are certainly yeah. more options. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he, he is undoubtedly hearing that. Um, and that's going to have to factor into his decision making, I, I would think. No, the there and some of his people that I've talked to, and I was a big Bernie supporter in 2016. Big. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've not committed to anybody now. I repeat that. But what I'm hearing is, hey, look, Bernie's the one who reshaped the Democratic Party, the direction of the party. You have to raise all these issues that are now, they were considered wacky then or too far out. Now they're mainstream Democratic issues. And he set the, you know, he he built the foundation. He's got a right now to come back and lead the parade. I th- I think there are obviously people who uh, believe that. I mean, I I've certainly talked to quite a few Bernie twenty sixteen supporters who would love to see him in twenty twenty. But what's been interesting is that there are ideas that I believe that Bernie made more mainstream that people in the Democratic Party were not as on board with before Bernie introduced them that they are now on board with, but would like to see someone other other than Bernie <laughs> take the lead, and yeah. that has to be frustrating. Out of, at, to some degree. But, I mean, Bernie also has some real um, hard PR stories right now happening with sexual harassment in his campaign. Um, the Me Too movement is not going to play that down. Bernie had a difficult time uh, winning black voters, um, especially mm-hmm. some could argue it was just compared to Clinton. But there was also concerns about um, diversity issues within his campaign and his history on in Congress. Um, and with the with the possibility of at least two black candidates running um, and, and and other um, lawmakers who may have a, a better history with uh, women voters and black voters. That could be difficult for him. And then there is the candidate out there uh, who is either considered totally wacky or totally brilliant by playing his own game, driving in his pickup truck and having nothing to do with the way that most people would run for president. What's your take on Beto? Uh, I'm. I would have put the odds lower that he runs than the other two we've 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 discussed, and I don't know. But is you know, he for doing sure. something that's just so brilliant that we're we're just not willing to? I don't, don't can't understand it, or is he I, just a loony? I think say? that all of this. Um, uh, sort of uh, discussion of how people launch their campaigns or what they do before it. None of it will we remember a year from now when we're looking at the Iowa caucus in a couple of weeks. Um, the fact that 
Elizabeth Warren announced on New Year's Eve and it was in a video and like the fact that we saw uh, Julian Castro just do a textbook rollout right. of a campaign that was like flawless. I don't think any of that matters. So Beto can drive his truck around all 50 states. Once he decides to get in, I think that the, the case he makes yeah. as a candidate is what's going to matter. Yeah. But to do something different. Mm-hmm. Get you a certain amount of attention. Uh, obviously. And I mean, I think in some ways he's still trying to figure some things out, whether or not he wants to do it or not. Like uh, from people I talk to affiliated with campaigns, everyone has ideas about who else is running. No one knows everyone who is running. And people are trying to see if there's room for them in the field and if their uh, popularity and success uh, expands beyond their bubble. Yeah, and I'm and and Beto was did very very well, obviously in Texas. Um, it, whether he can do that well beyond Texas, I, I think uh, it's just not yet clear. Another person you've written about, uh, Ginger, I, I I find fascinating. So, um, Survey Monkey did a look at among Democrats, who do you like? Who who do you have a favorable opinion about? Nancy Pelosi is number one, seventy five percent. Uh, Democrats think Nancy Pelosi is doing a good job. Number two among all Democrats is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. 70%. Mm-hmm. She's 29. She's too young to run for president. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, she'd be in the pack probably. Yeah. What is the appeal? What's the fun, what's, what is this phenomenon all about? I think the appeal to her is the same reason that Bernie and Biden are going to have trouble. People want something new. Um, I have to say, too, the thing that amazed me in Iowa was the number of voters who told me that they didn't want an old candidate were old. They were all over 65. Um, they see a younger generation as a, a bringing a new voice, a new argument, and they want young people to take over their party. Well, it's interesting because the Iowa constituent voting right. is not considered to be a young voting no. block, right? No. Right. No. no. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. would say, look, AOC has a lot of opportunity ahead of her. Last night, it was announced she's been added to the House Oversight Committee. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's going to be questioning Michael Cohen in a couple of weeks. I mean, think yeah. about that. Um, the yeah. Democrats are unsure. You know, I, I hear a lot of anxiety about how they go after Trump using the House in the next two years. She's going to be at the center of that. They're putting maybe one of their two strongest weapons, Nancy Pelosi and AOC, yeah. right at the front of that fight. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what a lot of Democrats wanted uh, in 2018 was a disruptor. And she's disrupting a lot and, and pivoting conversations in a direction that um, – I think some Democrats who had been in in Congress longer than she's been alive have just been slow to to move the conversation towards. And I and I think a lot of left leaning voters are excited about that. I think it goes back to my earlier point about these ideas that became popular through Bernie's campaign that can be taken to the next level by someone who is not Bernie. And let's be clear, I was oh, add right, one more thing right, yes. on that oversight committee. Talk about members who've been there longer than she's been alive. She's going to be working with Chairman Elijah Cummings, mm-hmm. who is happy to work with her. Right. Who is the kind of um, longtime. I'll use the word statesman who can work with a new member and elevate her message. He's not running. You know, he's embracing her. And that's where you're going to see Congress potentially make some big moves on that front. Uh, I hadn't thought of it in that light. But your statement that there are and it's true, there are members of Congress who have Mm -hmm. been in Congress longer 
then AOC has been alive. It's a fact. Yeah. That is yeah. fascinating. There are nine who have been in Congress longer than I've been alive. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 30 is not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 30, yeah. 30 years is not that long ago, especially in these congressional careers. But it's just fascinating to show yeah. how this, the makeup of this Congress oh, yeah. and has changed in so many ways, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's in a, terms of the number of women, the diversity, the, yeah. the, the age. Yeah. Factor, sexual orientation, sexual uh, orientation immigrants. All, yeah. 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 Across yeah. the board. Yeah. I mean, which I find it so exciting. I was yeah. going to say, as a journalist, it's very exciting. I mean, and, and it's an as American. An American. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's very exciting. Um, one other thing we haven't talked about yet. Um, so, what do you think? Is there going to be next week, next Wednesday morning, are we going to be talking about the State of the Union or will there be a State of the Union? Where do we, what do, what, what do you think? Yeah. Donald Trump says he's going to give one, one way or the other. I, oh, In he's, fact, he's, he's been invited, as we know, by state some state leaders, like I think in Michigan sure. and some other place, to, to go to that state and give the State of the Union. The White House has said he's going to show up at the Capitol come hell or high water. Yeah. But so far, Nancy Pelosi is not going to let him in. And he'll enter the visitor center entrance and the uh, go through the door <laughs> at the Capitol <laughs> Theater. I mean, um, I, I'm joking. But, I mean, let's be clear. You may not be joking. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi controls the House floor uh, and is a uh, separate and actually likes to remind him co-equal branch of government. Um, and I think that we're seeing some desire not to let him have sort of such a big platform to berate the people who will be sitting in front of him and control the floor. But yeah. um, Nancy Pelosi, as strong as she is, would she lock the president of the United States off the House floor? I don't think optically that would be in her favor the way, um, you know, some supporters of that would hope it would. And so and, and I and I, I if you if you look at her tit for tat with uh, Trump, it, it, to me, it hasn't gone to that level of like pettiness, um, and and so I would be surprised of that. Is it on, pettiness? I think on his part. I, said, I think yeah. I, think I don't think hers has. has. No, hers yeah. is not. Yeah, I mean, I think it, there's a level of like sophistication, and um, I mean, think about it this way: if you broke up with someone, would you let them come into your house and tell all your friends why you're terrible? I mean, like yeah. that's what she's trying to stop him from doing. I don't know that it's petty. I mean, it's a difficult thing to maneuver. Yeah. Um, and I and and that's the tricky part. But like. But, yeah. Now I, I'm not a an expert in the House rules, sure. but I do believe that the president has to be invited by a resolution right. passed by Congress to yeah. give the State of the Union. Yeah. Correct. So yeah. he may be president, but he can't just show up. Well, I mean, he's going to give it some way. I mean, be it a tweet storm or. Um, in Mar-a-Lago or the Oval Office. In Mar-a-Lago, yeah. Uh, so the real question to me is, why do we need? I mean, this. Can we be honest? The State of the Union has become a joke, anyhow, hasn't it? And wouldn't we all be better off if they don't go through that tra-la-la with uh, the, the cheering crowds on one side and the other side? I find it embarrassing. I, I mean, I, I. Um, it, I'm always mindful of the fact that large percentages of Republican voters uh, really do approve of the way Trump is running the White House. And so for them, uh, they could uh, hear a State of the Union message pointing to um, all of the president's wins and and it would be well received. But most Americans are not Republicans. Yeah. I mean, I think some other location if he wants to. 
There Would, should be some things in America that transcend partisan fighting. Yeah. And like whether or not we're doing okay as a country uh, might be one of them. But I think that we're in a time where it's hard to imagine people getting out of their corners and delivering and then hearing a speech that is not just so heavily See, partisan. I agree with you, but I just think that we have collectively – the Congress has allowed the State of the Union to devolve into a high school basketball game. And it's just It's not a unifying event and hasn't been for a while, even no. before Trump got into the White right. House. That's right. Um, it's, got, it's certainly worse under him. It would be worse. I mean, could, I can't imagine, given a certain, if the shutdown is still going on, for him to be in front of the, of the Congress giving a message that – People would sit there. People would be walking out. I, I mean, could imagine. you imagine him saying the State of the Union is strong? I mean, that is what has traditionally been he'd be said. Left, he'd be left right. off the podium. During that speech. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. Uh, okay, before we before we run, got to get your take on the most important question of the day. Um, best picture of the year. Peter, run us through the choices. First of all, just so that everybody. I've seen most of them. All right. Okay, hang on. I'm just no. I'm just gonna pull up the uh, the list from the Academy Awards because yes. they announced them yesterday around this time. Uh, Best Picture nominees. Uh, okay, hang on, hang on. I'm All just right, trying to I, pull I, it up here. I remember some of them: Roma, Green Door, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Book. Yeah, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody is on there. Um, was the Star Is Born on there? No. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, right. Roma has the first Mexican Ameri- Mexican born actress nominated for uh, Best Actress. Here we go. All right, uh, Black uh, Panther, Black, Black Klansman, right. Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. Okay, that's right. Mm. Yeah, I've seen about half of those. Yeah. Uh, all right. Quick vote. I can see Bohemian Rhapsody doing it, taking mm. it. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say Black Klansman. I think it's probably my guess. Black Klansman's very really? good. Okay. Black Klansman was, was my favorite on that list. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You think Green Book? I'm still going for Green. I Book. think Green Book uh-uh. could win. Should it win? It's a completely different episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie, though. Hey guys, thanks so much for coming in, Ginger Gibson and Eugene Scott. It's great Thank to you. see you. Have a great Wednesday. We'll look for you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.